guys? I'm freezing cold. Is it cold in here or is it just me? Whew. All right, but I get to run around on the stage and teach, so I'll warm up quick. Uh, um, I had the privilege, uh, I don't even remember how many years ago it was, to go to a conference that was at the famous Torrey Pines Golf Course. And uh, I have a picture here. There's, this is a very uh, aerial view of Torrey Pines. And then if you look to the north, I have put a spot, and then now we're zooming into the north. And then, it moved, oh, yeah, that's okay. Go in, zoom in. And then zoom in more because you can't really tell how rocky it is over there. And now the next picture is like, okay, now it's a 3D picture. And you see how... There's this trail that I was walking on, and it goes out to this point, and you see those three, like, pots, like those, the erosion that is uh, there? Well, now to go to the next picture. Okay, this is from my camera, looking at those things, and you see those, like, cutouts. I'll go to the next one. And so it's just cliffs. It's just straight down. So here's what I do at this moment. I go out onto one of them. Of course, that's what you do. And I get out there, and I'm standing there, and, you, I mean, it's hard to tell in that picture, but that is just straight down right next to my feet and I'm standing there on this thing and I just froze I got so scared I could not move at all I was stuck there was nothing I could do I couldn't go forward I couldn't go backwards I couldn't turn around I was standing there thinking I wonder how long before the helicopters come and get me Right? And then I realized, well, probably longer than I can stand. My knees will give out and I'll fall off to the left and I'll be dead. So I'm like, I got to do something. I have to get out of this situation. And so what I did was I reached into my pocket and I got out my camera and I took that picture. <laughs> what? Well, I don't know what I was thinking there. But anyway, after I did that, then I was still just frozen and I do this move. Right? And I did, and I had to step across to get back onto the land, and I was alive, and I'm still here. But I want to talk about that, that idea, that feeling of being stuck. That feeling that you get to where you can't go forward, you can't go backwards, there's no helicopters coming. What are you going to do? You're stuck in this spot. Okay, now, opposite thing to think about. I want you to think about God. In his throne room, God, the kingly, glorious God that we think of sometimes. There's, there's some just amazing uh, verses in the book of Revelation that talks about God in this throne room. And it's like a sea of, of uh, gemstones or something. It's, it's like clear glass. And there's all kinds of creatures. There's people worshiping him. There's people on other little smaller little chairs or thrones. And there's people bow. There's these weird creatures that have to cover their eyes and they bow down to him. And God is in, on this throne throne in the middle of all that. You got that? I mean, that's, that's just a great and glorious picture. But I have, a, I have some questions about that picture. It's true, by the way. That's, that's what Revelation says. But it does start to make you ask some questions. One question I have, there's some hard questions about, does God change? Does God any time different, like if he's sitting on that throne room, and if there's people worshiping him, and if it's just a sea of, of, uh, of gemstone, is there any change? Is there any dynamicism? Is there any, is there any movement in that? And if you start thinking about this question, you're going to start thinking, well, there's some things that he probably does change in and some things that he doesn't change in. Like, what are they? What, are the, what, what, are, what do you think they are? 
By the way, all these questions on the board here, I'm not going to answer for you today. Uh, just a little preview. In what way does he change and in what way does he not change? Does he, like, does he respond? If you get in trouble, does God respond? Is that a change? Is that him doing something? Does he change his own plans? There's some very intriguing verses in the Old Testament that really feel like it says that God changed his mind. Like some, a prophet came to him and said, don't destroy these people. And God's like, oh, okay. Right? He changes. He did something different. Is he still shaping history? Is he still creating? Is he still revealing? These are all puzzles. These are all questions that the church is somewhat un unable to answer. I mean, there are people who think they know the answers, but, but, it, but, it's, but it's a puzzle that's been around in theological circles for a long time. We're, we're in a series right now, as Carla said, uh, that God is stranger, is what I still call it. I'm sorry. It's actually called unexpected. We're in this series where we're thinking about how God is just unexpected. He's not how we pin, have pinned him down. He's not always who we think he is. And when he shows up in people's lives especially, we start to see parts of him that are like, I didn't think of that. I didn't know that. I didn't expect that. And sometimes it's not comfortable. Sometimes when God shows up in people's lives in the Bible, it's like not their best day. You know, when God shows up in Jonah's life, I just, re I just read that recently. When God shows up in Jonah's life, this is not a good day. Jonah's like, no, 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 go away, right? That's not what he wanted. That's not what he expected. When God shows up in Joseph's life, we talked about, when God shows up in the shepherd's life, it's just not what they expected to have happen. So I'm going to think back about this glorious throne room and how it's not, there's some mystery there. Because I think if you, if you, if you ponder it for a while, that throne room picture, that, that glory picture, as great as it is, as true as it is, there's a downside to it that in your mind, it's, it can become like God is far and distant and, and removed and not caring how can throne room God intercede in your life tomorrow? How can that happen? How can throne room God intercede in your finances? How can he help you with your family relationships? How can he help you in your depression? Or just in your boredom, in your work slog, that you have to get up day after day and do the same thing. Or in your disappointment with your life, or in your regret. How, how is throne room God helping that? There's a psychologist, uh, Dr. Martin Siegman, who wrote these who wrote this personal, pervasive, and permanent, and you might have heard about it. Those three words kind of made the rounds for a while. They were in TED Talks. They were in the Leadership Summit. And they are significant. Once I learned them, I was like, this is so significant. When we have this feeling that we're stuck, when we have this feeling like nothing's going to, the helicopters aren't coming, when nothing's going to bail us out, Dr. Martin Seelman says, this is when you start feeling that it's personal, pervasive, and permanent. This, is about, this problem is about me. It's my fault. I did this. You wallow in, in self, 
in, in self-blame or self-doubt, or you think that the people are doing something to you, like you're in traffic and you're stuck and you're like, all these people are here just to make me mad, right? You think of it as pervasive, it is the entire thing. When your finances are bad, it's pervasive. It's like all you can think about. And you think of it as permanent. And that's the one I want to think about more today. You think of things as permanent, like they are never going to change. And our brains are so good, so good at doing this. For good things and for bad things, we always assume that today is what it's always going to look like. It's always going to be like it is right now. There's a funny, up on the permanent, my wife and I, every single year when it snows, we say, we need to buy a four-wheel drive truck. We have to. I mean, it's always snowing. We can never get anywhere, right? It's just like, it's amazing how your brain can trick you into these things. This situation today is permanent. So, how can you imagine that God is with you and for you and doing things and that it's not personal, pervasive, and permanent, that things can change. See, it's hard for your mind to get this. It's one thing, when you think about throne room God, it's one thing to think about God is for me. That's already hard. That's already amazing. We talk about that at Orchard a lot. God is for you. He's cheering for you. That's awesome. But it still has, could have this feeling of distance in it. God is cheering for you as he sits there. Well, I hope she does well. I mean, I hope that works out for her, right? He's for me, but he's far from me. I need him to be for me, and I need him to help. So then we sometimes can think God is a provider. God can provide. As he sits on his throne, he can lift his finger and say, why don't you send her something? God, God provides but it still can be at a distance. I want you to think of God as with us. God as rolling up his sleeves. God as getting his tunic dirty. God as being muddy. God as pulling you along. God as inviting us into the future. God as being able to change things. That, those pictures, I think, are harder for us to get. That God is actually there beside us, moving it all forward with us. Emmanuel as God is with us. There's one way to look. There's lenses that you can put on the Old Testament where you can see these just big sweeps of things. And they're beautiful to me. I love these big, long sweeps of things. One of those is that you can see throughout the entire Old Testament this idea of a liberation that things are always constantly being liberated one from another. Creation starts with this liberating of, of, of stuff. And then we get to, we get, there's all kinds of liberation. But the biggest one is Exodus. In Exodus, God is pulling the people out of Egypt. He's like dragging them practically, kicking and screaming at times out. He liberates them from their oppressors. And that picture forms the central picture of the rest of the scripture. God liberates them from Exodus, from Egypt. So let's look at this, this verse in uh, Exodus chapter 3. A lot of Jewish people think of it as like the start of the Bible. This is the first thing that happens. And everything before that is kind of like Star Wars episode 1, 2, and 3. So it's the backstory, right? 
This is Star Wars Episode 4. This is where it begins. This is the important thing. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. This is, this is a God who hears, and a God who cares, and a God who comes and does something. This is a God that no other gods are like. No other gods can say, I'm coming. I'm going to do this. I'm going to show up. That has never happened. In fact, I've been reading a lot of the Old Testament prophets lately, and there are just funny times where God sort of mocks the other gods. Like, you made that out of your own hands. Obviously, it's not going to do anything. Because I'm the God. I'm the God who hears, sees, cares, and shows up. So as I've been reading through these Old Testament prophets, I don't understand a half of it, right? I there's, it's hard. It's complicated. But here's something you can't miss. That they are saying, today is not permanent. What you see now is not what you're going to see always. They are saying things that seem intractable are not intractable. Seem, things that seem permanent are not permanent. Things that seem unbeatable are not unbeatable. I mean, these guys are writing about, about dominating empires that, are, that are, have taken over huge sections of Europe and look like they're impossible. There's no way you could defeat them. They are dominating. And yet the prophets say, no, 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 they're going to be gone soon. I mean, you couldn't even think that way. You couldn't think that this major empire is just not going to be here. And the prophets have the creativity and the gall and the faith to say, no, they're not going to be here soon. They're going to be gone. Okay, that was my intro. <laughs> so, because, because when we get to the New Testament, you have got to see it with that light shining on it. You've got to see the story I'm about to tell with that light shining on it. That we're talking about liberation. We're talking about people who believed that things that seem intractable are not intractable. Things that seem permanent are not permanent. You have to see it with that light. Because I don't know how much you can imagine how difficult of a situation the Christmas story takes place in. They're in an occupied territory. Like we just don't relate, relate to that all that well. They're in an occupied territory. They... they, they all of the excess money that they might make from, their, from the things that they sell are just taxed away. They're taken from them. There is no chance that they are going to become wealthy. There is no chance that they are going to become free. They're occupied. And we're talking about, I'm going to be talking about Mary. We're talking about a young girl, a young woman in an occupied territory. She's got no future. She's got no chance. And God has gone silent on them. He hasn't talked to them for 400 years. The prophets who used to say, things are going to change, haven't said that for a long time. There's some doubt starting to creep in that God just doesn't show up. And then God shows up. God shows up 
with this angel coming to several different people, but one was Mary. God shows up with an angel coming to Mary and telling Mary, Mary, you are highly favored. <laughs> You're highly favored. She's like, okay, I'm a 14-year-old in an occupied territory. I'm not highly favored. You are highly favored, and your descendant, your son is going to take the, take the throne of King David. It just doesn't make sense. And then Mary says these words in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary, already you can see in the first words of this that she believes that change can happen. That she believes this wild, crazy story that God is with her. That God is in it with her. That God understands this occupied territory. My soul glorifies the Lord. Can you say that when you're stuck, when you're trapped, when you're out on the edge and the helicopters aren't coming and you can't move forwards and backward or backwards? Yet my soul glorifies the Lord. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He sees me. He hears me. And then already she's, she's being a prophet and saying, from now on all generations will call me blessed. This is going to happen. For the mighty one has done great things for me. He has done. He has done. He, has, he, he is a verb. The mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And now she is even more directly in line with the prophetic words of the Old Testament as she gets into this next. This is Mary as a prophet. I don't think, I don't think we think of her that much as a prophet. But this is exactly the words that prophets would say. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He is, he has, this, this is the picture all throughout the Old Testament. His arm, his outstretched arm has moved us in this direction. His outstretched arm has prepared a way for us. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and lifted up the humble. See? Things that seem permanent are not permanent. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He's done it. And he's lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. People who don't have a future. People who don't think there's anything in front of them. People who are hungry. He has filled. He has filled the hungry with good things. And he sent the rich away empty. People who seem powerful aren't always powerful forever. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised. Mary is a prophet, a 14-year-old or 15-year-old, whatever she was, young girl in an occupied territory, prophesying these amazing words and saying, it's not got to stay this way. That was a bad sentence. It doesn't have to stay this way. In a way that just seems supernatural, Mary sees it 
and gets it. And she says to you and to me, things that seem intractable are not intractable. Things that seem permanent are not permanent. Things that seem unbeatable are not unbeatable. The system isn't static. The system is in motion. The powers that be aren't going to be the powers that be tomorrow. And God absolutely wants to and is waiting to and is hoping to lead you and guide you and pull you into the future. God is not just there for us, cheering for us, but he is. And he's not just there providing for us, but he is. He is with us. His, his robes are dirty. His sleeves are rolled up. So where are you stuck? Where are you stuck? Where have you gotten yourself? And you, it might be all your own fault. You're like, I did this, <laughs> which is what I was saying there. I did this. That was dumb. Uh, now I'm out here. Where, where, where have you done that in your life where you've, you've just walked out onto the point farther than you should have and you're like, okay, I, I've screwed up? Or where are you that it wasn't your fault? You just found yourself there. The, the, the ground eroded away around you. And it just seems personal and pervasive and permanent. It just seems like this is it. This is how it's going to be. I want you to be with Mary and trust that God can do something. God can move something. God is active and powerful. And that tomorrow isn't going to be the same as today. That people who seem like they're in power, people who seem like they're hoarding something over you, might not stay that way. And I want you to think of God as the God who rolls up his sleeves with you. Even if it's just to sit by you and put his arm around you, he's there, but he's there with you in it. And I want you to see that different kind of God. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. Heavenly Father, God who is both glorious, sitting on a throne, with worshipers and dynamic and active and changing history and bringing down rulers and bringing up people who need it. And with us. And I pray that you, you have a future for us that you are bringing us into, that you are drawing us toward. And I pray that we can see it, and feel it, and know it, and believe it, and that we can move with you into it. Maybe, maybe, maybe as we move into 2020, this is a good time for some of us to say, okay, the years can change, my situation can change too. Be with us, Lord. Amen.